0: It doesn't have to have its own way all the time. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices, bears all things, etc. That's what love is. This is the kind of love we need to have with our fellow Christians, particularly within the confines of a local church, because a local church is a family of people and we're all just kind of shoved together. You don't get to pick who joins the church. We try to vet who joins the church. We have membership interviews. We have an application process. We, we, we vote people in to the membership, but we only get to know them later as we go along. And love means, my grandpa would say it like this, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. <laughs> I guess he spoke from experience. <laughs> But love in a church is is so important should love one another with authentic love, not artificial, not pretend love, not this two-faced love, but real authentic love. We should abhor or hate evil, even the evils that we have a soft spot for, because there are some things that are bad that we like. John MacArthur says that men tend to coddle their pet sins. There's some, some things that you guys do I don't like. And vice versa. Right? That's a good time to say amen. We all have... But then there are these particular sins that we kind of coddle. When I was a teenager, I went to a youth conference one time, and his preacher, he, was, he gave an illustration about how his dad bought, a, bought an old barn, and it had two feet of dried manure in it two feet of dried manure. And his dad said, there's a concrete floor underneath there somewhere. And it's your job to find it. And so he went in with a shovel and a wheelbarrow and just started shoveling and hauling it out. And he got it all hauled out. But he said, I've been in there so long I kind of fell in love with manure. That's what I thought. I kind of liked the smell, the aroma. I kind of... I liked it. And he said, so Dad said, get it all out of us. I got it all out. And somebody came with a tractor and scooped it up and hauled it away. He said, What I did is I got a I got a little a little pinch of it. And I put it in a little glass jar. And I put it in my bedroom. Hid it away. Every once in a while I'd go in there and I'd get it out and I would shake it up. Open it up and take a little whiff. What a weird guy. It was only at the end of the sermon that he said it was just a, just a parable, a parabolic story, something he had made up, to say this is what Christians do. Christians will get all the sin out of their life, all the manure out of their barn, and they'll hang on to one little bit and say, you know, I really like this one. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep this for myself. This is how we are. We, we have to abhor evil, even the evils that we like, even the evils that... Make us happy. Bring us some kind of pleasure from, you might say. Abhor. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Reject those things that pull us away from Christ. Reject those things that pull us away from, from loving Christians. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast. Verse 10. He goes on to say in verse 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. This is the kind of attitude we should have where we are caring for each other in a familial sense. With family connection. That we really are the family of God. Remember Jesus in Mark chapter 3? His mother came to see him. He was inside a house with the disciples. And his mother and brothers come to see him. And the, these messengers come and they say, Hey Jesus, come outside. Your mama wants you. And Jesus says, "This, These are my mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my family. My friend, this is a reality we have to, we have to remember. You're going to spend eternity in your life with Christians. That's a guarantee. But you're, that's going to be your eternal family. I can't say that everybody in my family is a Christian. And then I'll see them in heaven. I hope they all become Christians. But this is that new, this new family that's eternal and enduring that comes to the Spirit of God. Brotherly affection for one another. We need to value each other within the local fellowship. Love each other. Honor one another. and This means you have to really value each other in order to honor them. Because in each person there are qualities worthy of honoring and of notice. In Psalm 64, David, is, he's, he's in a bad spot. And people are finding fault with him, and they're saying he doesn't deserve to be king of Israel anymore because he has so many errors. And he says that men lay, wait, lay in wait for me privily, and from the hedge they cast their arrows, even bitter words that are running in their mouth about me. And he says they encourage themselves in evil matter. They accomplish a diligent search because what he's saying is if you want to find fault with me, if you look hard enough, you'll find it. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? If I want to find fault with you, all I got to do is investigate. Google your name, type you in on Facebook, I'll go down to Walmart. <laughs> So if you want to find fault with people, you can find it. But we need to look for the other things in people, the things worthy of honor. Honor. Respect people for their gifts and abilities. Esteem them. You're valuing them. I used to work with a guy. His name was Eric Gurley. Eric Gurley. What a horrible name. Hey, Mr. Gurley. (laughs) I mean, I just want to punch somebody. Eric, Eric was a very mean man. You ever work work with somebody who was just mean? Eric was mean. If you, if you, if you, if if he thought you were gaining weight, he'd say, what are you doing, fatso? I mean, he was just that kind of guy. If you, if you, if you, if your car had a a light out on it, he would harass you, but he's just a mean guy. But Eric he was really good with part numbers. We worked in a diesel parts house. He knew every part number you can imagine for a link belt track hoe or a Knox road paver or a Sakai roller or a Great all material handler. I mean, he knew all these numbers. The scariest thing about Eric was if he saw your social security number one time, he knew that number too. He was brilliant. I, you, you, he didn't need a Rolodex; he had it all right there in his mind. He's had this great memory, and I would get so annoyed with him sometimes the way he'd run his mouth about everything. And I one day I was talking to the boss man, Wayne Polk. Wayne Wayne was a, a deacon in a Baptist church, and I said, Wayne, why do you put up with that man? He said he's very important to us. I said he's just a jerk, and he said he said Erica is good with numbers. He's good with people. We need him. I was always looking for a reason to get him fired. Every time he made a mistake, <laughs> I was letting people know. I want, I want him to leave. But Wayne had the ability to say he has, some, he has some honorable parts about him. Now, inside a local church, we're all pretty different. And there are things about you that irritate others and vice versa. But we have to honor each other, hold each other in esteem and value one another. Honor each other. There are qualities worthy of honor, and we have to sometimes focus on the positive qualities and not the negatives. Outdo one another in showing honor. This this is a, a fascinating thing. Outdo. Be very honorable to each other. Go to the extreme. Outdo each other in showing honor which will probably include not talking about one another behind their backs and all that kind of stuff. Honoring people. Verse 11. Be not slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We should be warmly devoted to Christ and serve Him. Warmly devoted to Christ. Yesterday, me and Matt were talking. And Matt, he said, I can't wait for summer. Anybody else? Oh, I can't wait to feel the hot burn of the sun on my skin. I can't wait to step off into the Pigeon River with my fly rod and feel the hot sun on my back and cold water on my legs. I mean, I'm looking forward to summer. Summer. Looking forward to it. I'm warmly affection towards it. To serve. To get out there. Get active. Devoted to Christ, we should be warmly devoted to Him. Fervent in spirit, dedicated, excited about it. We should be serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Now, serving the Lord, Paul has to say this to you. Now, you have to keep this in your mind. The reason Paul says you have to do these things intentionally is because we tend to not do them. We tend to be the opposite natural. We tend to be cold-hearted about going to church, cold-hearted about serving God. We have to be warmly affectionate. Now, there are probably things that contribute to that, but just to be honest with you, I am a Christian pastor. My whole life is serving the Lord. I mean, that's it. My whole life is serving the Lord. And I get to come to church every week. This is the highlight of my week. I get to come here and yell at you guys for 35 or 40 minutes. And you guys take it. It's great. But even though sometimes I'm very excited to come and give you a sermon, sometimes I don't want to come and do it. And Sometimes there are other parts of Christian life I don't want to do. And sometimes it's because spiritual lethargy sets in. I kind of get cold-hearted towards the Lord. And i got to be warmed up. So we have to work at this. Now, fervent in spirit. Be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Actively serving Him. Now, there there are several ways in which we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord... Through the local church. There are ministry things that we do through the church. Things that the church has organized and planned and you get involved and serve through those, through those things. Then there's this other service of the Lord that just takes place in our regular daily life. When you go to work, you're a servant of Christ at your job. You're serving the Lord there. When you're at home, you're serving the Lord there. When you're at school, you're serving the Lord there. Fervent in spirit devoted. Now, I'm going to say this because this, 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 this annoys me a little bit. and I hope I can say this in the right spirit. Yeah, you know. I wrote to put it in my notes to say this. God, deliver us from the constant murmur of I don't have time. I don't have time. I ain't got time. We're not going to have time to do anything this summer because what? I don't have time this summer because I'm going to be running all over the country doing all kinds of stuff. I want you to really think about that when you say, I don't have time to serve God. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. There's something, about, something to be said about priorities. And there ain't nothing wrong with fishing. Amen? There's not much wrong with hunting. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having a boat. Nothing wrong with having a cottage on the lake. Or any of that stuff. Just, just don't let those things keep you from serving the Lord. We've got to serve the Lord. Right? And you're, and you're going you're gonna to have these, these temptations. It's going to come up. Everybody has them. Because when summertime comes here, I mean, there's no... There, I don't punch a clock. Hallelujah. I was, I was pastor at church one time and they said, we, we want you to start keeping a time card and switch you to pay by the hour. I said, Great! Because these sermons are going to take a lot longer to prepare. (laughs) Boy, I used to be a teamster. I know how to milk it. (laughs) I can make it last. (laughs) That's a 40 hours per sermon. Oh, yeah. Four of them a week, 160 hours. We we have to serve the Lord. Think about your time. Serve the Lord. Keep, Keep serving. Be fervent about it. Don't let your life become so busy that you can't serve God. Put God on your calendar. Put God on your schedule. Just this past week, I talked to two people who said, Yeah, you know, we don't have time to go to church on Sunday because we're doing this every Sunday. I, think you think, I, you know, I didn't say this to them because I don't want to tick them off. I don't have a real close relationship with them. But what does that say to God? What does this say to God who spared not his own son? Who spared not his own son. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Live by faith. Trusting in God. Even when your life really stinks. Rejoice in hope. Hope of a better tomorrow. Be patient. Have cheerful endurance while you're, going, while you're in tribulation. And this word tribulation can be translated pressure. Be patient when you're under pressure. But it's when we have pressure applied to us that we don't want to be patient, right? We've got to make a decision. We got to make it when. Got to make it now. We don't have time to think about it. We got time to pray about it. We got to do it now. Tribulation. Constant in prayer. We live in hope. We are patient in tribulation. And we can do that through prayer. Because prayer is a declaration of dependence on God. We're turning to Him. Now, I, want you, I got an example here for you. Look at 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. This is from the life of our friend David in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15, verses 5 to 14. I'll summarize. Solomon, his son, has led a conspiracy to overthrow David from the throne. Solomon has been working for four years to overthrow his father, and finally, it happens. And in chapter 15, verse 13 A messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. He says, We have to get out of the city. Otherwise, Absalom and his men are going to come to the city, we will be trapped here, and we will be killed. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house and he leaves town. And then verse 18, he, he's passing by. People are going with him. Just Excuse me a minute while I study my Bible. I'm looking for, the, for a name to leap out to me, Shammai, S-H-I-M-E-I, usually. Maybe it's 16. Yeah, 16, not 15. I reclaim my time. <laughs> <laughs> so David's left the city. Now on his way out of the city, this man comes out named Shammai, and he curses David. Listen to what he says. Shammai said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your Elah is on you. You are a man of blood. So here is David at a low, low spot in his life. And this guy comes out and says, You stinking dog, you deserve this. This is exactly what you deserve. You're finally getting your comeuppance. And notice how David responds to this. David's his cousin Abishai, says, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Abishai says, who is this guy to curse you? Let me go over there and kill him. Now, what would you say to that? Do what is in your heart. (laughs) I perceive the Lord has laid that on you. Go ahead. But David doesn't do that. Look what David says. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? He, if he is cursing because the Lord has said in him, Cursed David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? David says, This might be from the Lord. This criticism of me might be from God. So if I kill this guy, I might be shutting off the voice from the Lord. Because maybe the Lord's trying to teach me a lesson. This is something we have to remember about tough times. Tribulations. Is God might be trying to teach you something through that. To teach something about yourself. Read the Bible, right? They go the Israelites, they go from Egypt, they go right to the Red Sea. Who led them there? They're following a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They're following God. God leads them to a bad spot. They go through the Red Sea and they go to a place where there's no water. Who led them there? Over and over again, God leads them into tough times to make them a people of faith. It's the same for us. That's why we should be patient in tribulations, rejoicing in hope, praying, praying. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening to me. But I, I pray you would help me to learn from it. Now I'm going to bring this sermon to an end because I'm not going to make it through. I didn't think I would. I should have just planned on preaching shorter, shouldn't I? So I have just planned on it. Lord, why is this happening to me? Lord, I don't get it. And that's what, when you go through tough, tough times are sometimes exactly what it takes to get you to go back to God. To reacquaint you with faith. To reacquaint you with prayer is a hard time. If you go home today and you get a bad phone call, your prayer life is going to go up, Probably. You're going to go home and get your Bible out and start thumbing through it, looking for some hope. Sometimes, tough times, they come to us to reacquaint us with God. It's a reality. It's a reality. Well, let's pray together.